Welcome to the School of Calisthenics podcast with your hosts, Tim and Jacko. So this week was an absolute belter. Um, we had none other than uh, the mobility maker herself, Dana Santos. Now, Timbo, I always know a podcast has gone well when at the end of it, the guest invites you to stay at their house. <laughs> yeah, and use their garage gym. Is the, and I was literally, she was like, come stay. We've got loads of room in our house. And I'm like, oh, that was a, I didn't, have we had that before? Someone invited us to their house? No, I don't think, I think that is a first, which just goes to show what a genuinely nice person she was. And, she is and This podcast was full of enthusiasm and passion for the subject, predominantly around breathing and how we can improve breathing mechanics. And, and we talk all about detail of uh, rib kinematics and, and there's some practical things in there for you to have a go at to basically identify if you've got dysfunctional breathing patterns and the importance of correcting those and the potential benefits that can have not only on just your general well-being but also your range of movement movement quality and how it's actually the first thing we should be addressing when we start thinking about any kind of movement problem or just generally being an optimal human being yeah there's there's a number of things that are interesting topics around breathing and we've covered some of these things before with other guests like patrick mckeon but dana what dana doesn't know about like the, the the biomechanics of functional breathing and how you can very simply in a matter of just five breaths change dramatically how your body is moving how your body is functioning and some of the mobility improvements she talks about uh, there's links all in the show notes to some of the um, exercises that she's suggesting and where you can find out more about her uh, a couple of other things just to mention is that we're going to do a live this week it will probably be if you're listening to this on wednesday um on the on the thursday thursday the 19th we should be doing an instagram live with her where you can ask any questions follow along she's going to take us together through um some of those exercises and you'll be able to see the difference that it's going to make and uh, be able to have those visual clues cues from her uh, via that instagram tv so the details for the exact time of that will be in the show notes so check that out and if you're interested in attending one of our online workshops that we've got coming up soon on the 21st of the month, 21st of November and the 28th of November, we've got a handstand online workshop and then followed up the following week, the final workshop is a lower body movement quality and improving your just general lower body functional ability to get you into some really fun, um, exciting movement progressions around the lower body, but to give you some better options and just restore some of those mechanics that are so important to just enjoyment of life. When you can run, you can climb, you can ski whatever you want to do we want to help you to regain some of that that movement quality and so you can have more fun in your life so if you want to jump on board one of those workshops we would love to see you you can find out all the details at schoolofcalisthenics.com go to the shop find the workshops page and you'll get all the details jump on board and come and spend a couple of hours with us investing in yourself and we've got some quite a bit of mobility in there as well so we're going to deploy i think some of uh some of dana's techniques and stuff in you so we can tie it all together into a movement breathing just a little bit of a fun time together. So hopefully we'll see you there. Yeah, they're the online workshops, but also speaking to him about um, be moving better and enjoying your life. Well, part of one thing that's going to help you do that is having an online membership with the Scorecast Senex inside the virtual classroom where you can join um, and you can enjoy even on our standard membership, which is just nine ninety nine a month, uh, 12 different 
online training programs that you can follow week by week but also you've got that community of other members in there to encourage and support you as well as getting help and guidance from the coaching team um, which specifically we're here to help you every step of the way me and tim are doing live q a's for all members with a standard all vip membership um, on tuesdays and thursdays so you can join those ask any questions you've got um, and get some help and progression with all of your training needs and uh, you can test it out all for free on a seven-day free trial, whether that's joining some of the live sessions we do, whether it's following the programs. You get it all as part of that membership, and you can test it for free for seven days as part of that trial. So check out, again, the links will be in the show notes. This is the show notes, so this one's going to be long. There's going to be lots of links, but uh, there's a lot of stuff for you to, to look at. Right, so sit back and enjoy the great conversation we had with Dana Santos. And nothing else to say, but let's roll that jingle. Sorry, I stole cool. a bit from you. <laughs> you took the jingle. So I am very excited for today's podcast guest. It is none other than Dana Santos, who is a breathing mobility and mind body coach, which... Uh, you said before we kept before we hit live that that was a uh, that was a mouthful, but I think I got it right. Is that correct? Yes, yes, it is. Welcome to the podcast, Dana. Thank you. Um, to give a little bit of um, context, um, why I'm so excited, it reminds me a little bit of way back when we had Carl Pioli. Do you know Carl Pioli from uh, CrossFit? Oh no, but any uh, an, an American um, as well who um, I had a bit of a man crush on and um, got very excited about having on the podcast, and it's a I've I've got delving deep into this world of like breathing and got very excited by that. A friend of hang mine. On a minute, hang on a minute, stop oh. there. I was. Why did you not finish that sentence with? And I had a crush on Carl Pioli, and I've got a crush on you. like the most awkward intro ever. <laughs> Jack, sorry, I couldn't. That was too good a gag to let go. Um, but yes, a. a um, friend of ours who is a physiotherapist with British Athletics, works with the para, leads the para, uh, uh, para athletic program. Um, when I was pestering her, Gemma Jefferson, shout out to her. Um, when I was pestering her about, give me some like, um, you know, this, just this world of like breathing mechanics, functional breathing, like where do I start? And she goes, you've got to go and check out Dana Santos. Her stuff is fantastic. And so I delved into YouTube, but obviously you've said, you've said to us, um, you know, so much, you've got so much better stuff, um, on your Instagram and obviously on your website and everything as well, but we'll delve into all that. But, um, yeah, she put me onto, to your work and, um, we'll get deep into, um, all that makes up, uh, what a breathing mobility and mindset coach means and what you have to offer for everyone. But, just to introduce yourself to the listeners, there might be one person, one idiot that doesn't know who Dana Santa is yet. Um, in a nutshell, um, what does be what does Dana Santa and a breathing mobility and mindset coach mean? It's really hard to put it into a nutshell. Um, I do work. I, I work exclusively in professional sports, uh, although um, I use social media, and I also I'm. Um, a, health and wellness expert for CNN. So I use those platforms to reach, yeah. um, you know, the more general population because I, I want, I want to impact positively every, as many people as I, I possibly can. But in yeah. terms of my actual work, it is exclusively with professional athletes. Um, I don't know Gemma, Gemma, as I had mentioned to you, but I'm so flattered that, um, <laughs> 
that she referred you guys to me uh, and thrilled to be here uh, for sure. Because again, this is another platform where we can talk about some of these really important things. Because although I work with professional athletes, everything that I'm doing is stuff that makes human beings better. And my goal is to help everyone breathe better, move better, and feel better. And I think those all go hand in hand. And that's that's really like the tagline for my brand um, because it's what I've been saying all along to everyone. You know, that's my goal. And I always start with the breathing. I know you want to talk about the breathing. I start with the breathing because it is not only fundamental to living, right? If we're not breathing, mm-hmm. we're dead. But it's, I would argue, our most fundamental movement pattern. So if you're finding any dysfunction in a movement pattern, I'd always, any movement pattern, I'd always want to start and look at the breathing first. Because if we optimize your breathing pattern, we might clean up the movement pattern that you were looking at or the chronic pain or whatever the dysfunction, the issue is. We might clean it up just by cleaning up the movement pattern. We're certainly never going to hurt it. We're, we're going to make things better. So I always start there. So that's why it's breathe better first. And then that helps you move better. And then obviously, if we're breathing and moving well, we're going to feel better. I think there's an interesting thing there, Dana. I've seen some of the work that you've done with the National Strength and Conditioning Association in America. Um, our background is a strength and conditioning coaches as well. And you, when you get into the education pathway, it very much leads you down the route of a very biomechanical approach to movement. And we've done some, some work with an organization called Z Health, um, sort of brain-based training and looking at more vestibular and, and um, uh, when I think of visual systems and the inputs into the central nervous system that that has. And, and when I came across that, side of things I thought is a huge part of my career where I've not really understood the importance of of this kind of thing and if I'm being honest like breathing is kind of come up and down you kind of get glimpses of it through your education pathways and, and I went through a National Academy of Sports Medicine pathway which I know you've done some qualifications with as well and I think that was amazing um, but it's not it's not like 101 you, you learn all about movement and muscles and anatomy and, and strength training and how to train the core which is something I want to get your your input on as well um, and then only later, 12 years into my career, is breathing really become something which we should be thinking about more. And I think I've missed such an opportunity. Why, why, why have we found ourselves in, in that situation where, we, where the first thing that you look at is actually often the last thing that many practitioners and then also people are getting exposed to? That's a great question that I ask myself all the time and that the people that I work with ask me, you know, why, why aren't we learning this as children? Uh, if, if we were teaching breathing mechanics in school, because it's, it's often, you know, school-aged children who start to lose that naturally optimized breathing pattern, you know, as we're sitting in school all day long. So, yeah, I... I, I, I don't have the answer to your question, but I certainly feel um, the need to ask that question all the time because it, it, it seems like it should be a no-brainer. Because just as I said before, we know breathing is so important to our life. And I mean, without it, there's no life. So how come it's such a reach for people to then understand that the quality of your breathing pattern impacts the quality of your life like that shouldn't be a reach it should be a natural progression so we should all be spending a lot of time looking at how we can optimize our breathing i i i would posit that maybe it's because it's part of our autonomic nervous system that we tend to take it for granted 
because we, and I don't even want to say that because that sounds negative, that we take it for granted. It's that we feel that we don't have control over it. When in fact, it is the only aspect of our autonomic nervous system that we actually have control of. And that's for a very good reason. Because how we breathe is very contextual. At least it should be. It's designed so that in different circumstances, we have different types of breathing patterns that we use to optimize our movement and how we feel and also how we think. Because as, as you had mentioned um, just a moment ago, that there's this neuro aspect of it. There's, there's the impact on our brain. There are so many times when I'm, I'm working with an athlete and, you know, they, they're dealing with issues with the anxiety, you know, performance anxiety and stress and um, agitation. And I have to say to them, you know, the way that you think that you think right now or the way that you think that you feel right now really isn't you. That's not you. That's, that's what your, your breathing pattern is, is creating that. So, cause we know like, for instance, when we go into a sympathetic state, which is that fight or flight state, we know the breathing pattern that goes along with that. And that's, that's a rapid, shallow breath, right? And there's, there's intent behind that. There's a reason for that breathing pattern when you're in that state, because you're, it, you need to be reactive. Um, and you know, when, and this is overplayed so many times, people always use the saber tooth tiger example, but I'm going to use it because it brings people back to the fact that, you know, back when, um, when we were designed this way, we had threats like that. But in the modern world, we don't have threats like that. Yet so many of us are still stuck in that breathing pattern and literally stuck as opposed to the caveman who the saber tooth tiger is, you know, running after them. They're running, they're in that breathing pattern, they get in the cave, they're safe, and they go back to homeostasis. We don't. We don't go back to homeostasis. We live in this constant state of stress, and our breathing pattern is, is kind of keeping us in that state. It's a vicious cycle. The stress got us there, the breathing pattern keeps us there, and it keeps us thinking that we have to be on high alert. I mean, how many people do you know who you would describe as being wound really tight or they're easily spooked the moment that you walk into a room and they jump? They don't need to be like that. They shouldn't be on high alert all the time. And there's so much that's happening in the brain at the same time. I'm working with this awesome company. Um, they're out of Boston, uh, Massachusetts, called BrainCo. Um, and we're looking at... at um, neurofeedback. And actually, they're working in conjunction with Formula One out of Italy. Um, because I mean, who really needs to have control of their autonomic nervous system? You know, people driving at 200 miles per hour can't be reacting like a saber-toothed tiger is, is attacking them. So I hope that, I mean, I, I know I still didn't answer your question. No, that's <laughs> no, no, no. I, you but can. I don't have an answer to it. I hope Can that I just explains. Jacko is going to have loads on this. Um, I just want to jump in because one thing, when we, in modern day, when we have children that are born, do we, we, do we start off breathing well as infants and then lose the ability to, to breathe optimally? In most cases, I know there's always going to be some exceptions in terms of if there's complications, but in the most part, are we born with the right equipment and well, obviously the right equipment, but the right patterns in terms of breathing, which we then, the, the world then stresses us out of effectively. We, we now need to then go and regain some of that. Yes. Yes, unless there's some kind of pathology, right, um, at birth. Yes, absolutely. 
Um, and it, 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 there are many factors that come into play that can, um, jar our, our, our ability to breathe optimally. And I mean, I gave the example of, you know, school-aged children, as soon as we start sitting all the time, I, I mean, you guys know, um, just as well as anyone, if not more, we're, our bodies aren't designed to be sitting in a chair for eight hours a day. Absolutely not. And our, our bodies are designed to move. But as soon as you start to take movement out of the equation, that's going to have an impact on our breathing. Because, and I'll, we'll probably take a deeper dive in this a little bit later, but breathing is posture and posture is breathing. I mean, our rib cage takes up almost 50% of our axial skeleton and your breathing pattern is going to dictate the position of your rib cage. So that's going to have a huge influence on everything, but I, I don't want to go there yet because I want to, I want to keep to um, this, this one thing in terms of how does this happen? How does the breathing get interrupted? So, so there's this sitting that happens with most of us, but then there's also this chronic stress that starts to happen. I mean, there's environmental stresses, it, it, depending on how you grow up, the people that you're around, all of these things play a part um, in illness. I mean, there can be illness and it can be temporary illness or there can be some chronic illness that, that plays a role as well. And again, and I mean, I've, I've helped people who've had um, asthma, no longer have asthma uh, because Again, we didn't realize that we actually have way more control of our breathing and changing the quality of our breathing than um, most people think. But so there can be chronic illness, chronic stress, postural and movement deficiencies, and these all play a role. And we're all impacted by these. That's why I mean I, I would argue that that um, unless there's someone who's actively training their breathing that you're not going to find very many people in the modern world who live the way that you and I do, even though we also move a lot, it's, you're not going to find people who are just naturally optimizing their breathing, not in the environment that we live in. We need help yeah. for sure. And yeah. there are also, I mean, there are other aspects of evolution that have had an impact on our breathing. I mean, if I'm going to talk about, you know, when we were running around with saber-toothed tigers, we have to look at our skulls and what's happened as our brains have gotten bigger so that we could live in this more modern world, then we have less space in our sinuses and our mouths. And so then we start to become more mouth breathers than nose breathers. And that has an impact. And so there, there are many, many factors. I'm, I'm getting I'm, I'm getting excited because we're getting into some of the we're getting into some of the juicy stuff. Um, one thing I wanted to like um, just pick up on that, as you were saying, all those different environmental factors and all those things affecting what's going on. Even our diet can affect that sort of putting whether we're in a stress response. And and as you said, I think the, the just to reiterate that point where you said it's like a vicious cycle, like it just the the stress. However, that input is coming in from lots of different things, not just stress like, oh, I've got a deadline. Um, feeding that over-breathing, feeding, feeding that like upper chest breathing, and then just going round in that cycle. Um, but we are, as humans, amazing at adapting to whatever environment we put ourselves in. And that's what we're that's what we're basically like living through. We're just adapting to that extended period of sitting, adapting to all this stress, and all we do is we we stay in that alert state that you said. Um and from a yeah, I think that that's that's really 
clear and uh, a really nice overview of sort of i guess how we've why this has become such a big thing and there's so many so many more you know depending on the type of people that you follow on social media and the type of stuff that you're interested in um it can seem like there's a lot like there's a lot of people bringing breathing and the, and the importance of it right to the surface which is which is great and sort of hats off to people like yourself for the, that are all doing that um one of the things that i found that when it was a like everything starts for me with awareness and i think for everyone it starts with awareness like at first i'm not aware that i'm breathing like toilet um and i'm not therefore going to do anything about it and then for whatever reason something makes me hide to my awareness and i go and the first i was like right i don't know if i'm breathing correctly maybe is that is that right or not and then what i found really difficult until i've come across um your work and then i don't know if you come across uh patrick mckeown who've written the oxygen advantage oh yes absolutely and yeah those, james those, nestor have you james the new oh, book breath yeah love it oh yeah it's fan, the, it's fantastic the breath book and we'll put links in the show notes to both those two books as well to be fair the the breath book from james nestor and the oxygen advantage and i'm terrible at reading i'm like dyslexic and they were the fastest two books i've ever i just read them like non-stop i just loved it um so i do recommend reading them yeah for sure and excited that you were excited about them but yeah, until looking at, at some of your stuff, some of Patrick's work, I was I was still none the wiser as to whether the only thing I'd really sort of come across in just some searching was like belly breathing, and then and going I don't, like I'm I still don't know if I'm doing. And it was this case of like right, I'm aware, I'm going to try and do something differently, but I'm not even sure if I'm like doing this right. This is why I spoke to our friend uh, Gemma Physio who put me on to you. So go back to like basics and just like the 101 of like what is correct functional i'd like well i'd see whether we'd see off where we get to with this what is correct functional breathing and then how do i know if i'm doing it right i think that that for me for the, the listeners is one of the big like how do i know if i'm doing it right i know that you've uh, a couple of phrases i've heard from you before of like the money being in the exhale there being like a real importance on that exhale which i don't hear a lot of people talking about and the articulation of those lower ribs um which was like i was like what i'm extenuating my ribs like am i how do i do that like what is that right. um is that okay to, to, yes, to go into yes those? absolutely yeah? because those are those are the basics and and um and so now that I know since you're you're feeding me back some of my own words, then I know <laughs> that you were intentionally trying to trigger me with the belly breathing thing, weren't you? Uh no, no, not necessarily no, not necessarily. Okay. Because, well, but interestingly, anyone that like oh from from those people that I've looked at that I think for me, to, to, to say this isn't about breathing, just about anything, if I see two three four people that i i respect and think that they know what they're talking about all say the same thing i'm like well that must be a real thing and everyone that i've come across that i think knows what they're talking about and know an awful lot more than i do about breathing all have their like issues around that term belly breathing because it's giving the wrong impression or connotation or potentially sending us just it's a little one-dimensional is the way i think of it i guess but i'm sure i'll leave that to you you're the expert i'll leave it to you yes um, yeah, that's, that's, so that's one of my biggest triggers. Um, and my friends know this, uh, lots <laughs> of people know this about me. So, um, 
but I, before I go down why it triggers me, I want to I, I want to be clear. It's well intentioned. It's very well intentioned yeah. because what we're trying to do, we've already established that um, you know that shallow chest breath that's associated with being in that sympathetic flight, fight or flight state. That's an adaptation that we don't want to live in, and that's what we're trying to get ourselves back out of. So by moving downward, great. That's a good intention. The problem is. We don't have lung tissue in our bellies. People get confused. I mean, belly for most people equates to stomach. And, you know, I'm going to make all the same silly jokes that I always make, but people don't forget them because they're so, they're, they're kind of like dad jokes. Do you have dad jokes in the UK, right? Like, yeah, yeah. okay, good. Dad, yes. Tim's a daddy. He's got loads of dad jokes. Yeah, there you go. So, so obviously if we put air in the belly, uh, you know, in your stomach, that's gas and that's not respiration and it's not going to come out the end that you're trying to get it to come out of. Right. So, so I want to take the focus away from the belly. Also, I've watched people belly breathe and, you know, people can't see us, but air quotes around the belly breathing because they're not really breathing. They're, they're trying to accomplish what they're being told. Push your belly out with every inhale. I mean, people will literally put stuff on their belly and have you move it up and down. And I, I mean, that's always a face palm for me because I've watched that happen without the ribs moving. And, and I'm not saying that you can't force a diaphragm contraction by pushing the belly out. You can, but it's not functional. It really isn't. And, and I know there will be people out there who disagree with me, and I'd be happy to have a discourse with them about this um, because I am, I am sure that it's not functional. I mean, it, there's going to be movement of your belly that's natural because of the intra-abdominal pressure, because of the diaphragm coming down, pushing on the organs. There's going to be a movement. But you pushing it out further, making it go out further, that, that doesn't make anything better happen. It's not, it's, it's not really any functional part of breathing mechanics. So now that I've put that out there, let me explain. You know, your first question is, what is functional breathing? Yeah. So... Your primary respiratory muscle is your diaphragm. And I think it's the most misunderstood muscle in the body. Um, most people really don't even understand that it's a muscle. I hear things like, breathe into your diaphragm. You might as well say, breathe into your bicep. Like, you can't. Again, the only place, no matter who they are, how well-intentioned they are, if someone tells you to breathe into anything other than your lungs, it's impossible. So that's the only place you're ever going to breathe. You're going to breathe into your lungs. You're going to pull air into your lungs. Um, so back to this diaphragm, it's a skeletal muscle. So, so in, in that way, it is like the bicep, right? Because it attaches to bone and it even acts on bone. So the diaphragm is a skeletal muscle that attaches to your ribs and it attaches to your lumbar spine. So there's going to be movement when the diaphragm contracts and relaxes. The diaphragm doesn't just isometrically contract and relax. So in order for the diaphragm to functionally contract, and a diaphragm contraction is an inhalation. So let's think about the phases of the breath and just make sure people are following us here. So diaphragm contracts, that's the inhalation. Diaphragm relaxes, that's the exhalation. So on that contraction, the diaphragm as I said, it's a misunderstood muscle. It is a skeletal muscle. 
but it's unique in its shape um, and its function because it's a very flat muscle. When the diaphragm contracts, it flattens out, it gets very thin, flattens out, and moves downward. But in order for it to flatten out, it has to be pulled to be flattened out. And that, that pulling action is happening because the ribs, those lower ribs, externally rotate. So we have what's called the infrasternal angle. If people were to put their hands on their lower ribs right now, they'll feel the split right in the center. There are no ribs down there, right? And so, so that's that infrasternal angle is that split. It should be about 90 degrees. Now, if you're touching your ribs and you're finding your infrasternal angle is very raised, your ribs are flared, you're human and you're probably stuck in one of those patterns that's very shallow and chest oriented. Because when, if you were to take a big, massive inhale, if you've ever seen like Wim Hof, when he takes that giant inhale and his whole rib cage like comes way out. (laughs) So, So that is a huge contraction of your diaphragm that's happening as those ribs are externally rotating and they're moving out. Notice that they're not moving forward. So they're not pushing out. So what, going back to when somebody is trying to belly breathe and they're only pushing their belly out, I've seen those ribs not move at all. So that's not a functional diaphragm contraction because the ribs have to move out for the diaphragm to flatten and contract. Now, the reason that I said, and you pointed out that I always say money's in the exhale is because we also need to get this muscle to relax. And that's what most of us honestly suck at um, is the exhale. Because when someone says, take a deep breath, what do we focus on? We focus on the inhale. But in truth, most of us aren't exhaling enough. So on the exhale, those same ribs need to internally rotate, which means they're moving in towards each other. And that infrasternal angle is narrowing because this super cool skeletal muscle that is our diaphragm, in order to relax, it needs a space to dome. And that's what's really unique about it. It's relaxed state is a dome. So you guys have probably seen it drawn as like kind of like a parachute. But that, that dome can't happen if those ribs don't move. If those ribs stay in that flared state outward, the diaphragm stays in a semi-contracted state, which is why most of us don't fully exhale. So in order to exhale, those ribs need to come in towards each other kind of back and down towards your waist and then form, it's called, for those of you who already know a lot about breathing mechanics, it's it's called the zone of apposition. So just think about this zone, this area, it forms this area where the diaphragm can dome and then the diaphragm relaxes. So now that the diaphragm's in that domed state and the ribs are in, this is why the exhale is so important because now you're set up for an inhale. You're set up and ready to inhale. Just like if you can relax a muscle, now it's ready for a full contraction. But if the diaphragm's already stuck in a semi-contracted state, you didn't fully exhale and you want to take another inhale, you can't ask the diaphragm to fully inhale. So what are you going to do? You have to breathe because the body's not going to let you die, right? And so you're going to figure out a way to breathe. And the way that we tend to do that is we recruit all of these compensatory accessory breathing muscles. So that would be your neck, 
your pecs, your anterior shoulder, especially upper traps. Upper traps love to help us breathe. Scalenes, SCM. And so now what they're doing is they're all working together to lift the rib cage up, to lift the lungs, to help to pull the air in. We've taken the diaphragm now out of the equation because it's just stuck in that semi-contracted, if not fully contracted state all the time. And now we're breathing with these other muscles and we're taking upwards of, if you're Breathing is really dysfunctional and shallow. It could be as many as 24,000 breaths a day. So if everybody who's listening, if you're following me now, think about that. All these muscles that have primary roles that aren't to breathe for you. So think about what your, the front of your shoulder needs to do for you. Think about what your pecs need to do for you in terms of strength, mobility, and stability. Your neck, your upper traps. Now... Upwards of 24,000 times a day, those muscles are firing outside of their kinetic chains to breathe for you. So now when you go to use them for their primary roles, they're going to be kind of tight and pissed off and not as accessible. So now you're going to end up with a cascade of compensation and dysfunction because, well, if I can't use my upper traps then I'm going to have to recruit other muscles. If I, you know, if my pecs aren't available, I'm going to have to work harder through my arms. You know, it, you end up with overuse injuries. It's just, you're not as durable. You're not as functional. That's why, if we go back to what I said before, why I always start with looking at the breathing pattern because you can clear up so much. So now the second part of this, and this is an easy answer now that I've laid this all out. You said, how do I know if I'm not doing it right. If, if you were to attempt by putting your hands on your ribs to inhale and move the hands out, and I, it's, it's actually easier to start with the exhale because remember, if we can get that diaphragm to relax, then you can figure out if, okay, does my I'm, diaphragm actually function for me? I'm going to do this along. Do it, do it. All yeah, right, we'll so do it yeah, let's all do it together. So we'll put our hands on our ribs and don't inhale to exhale. I want you to find whatever error you can find and let's blow it out of our mouths. We're going to inhale through our nose, but we'll blow it out of our mouths. So exhale, drive those ribs in, back, and down. Find all the air you can. When you think there's no air left, blow it a little bit more. And then slow inhale and see what the movement is. Do your hands ride your ribs outward? Or did your shoulders and your pecs and everything turn on to pull your rib cage up for the inhale? That'll give you a lot of feedback in terms of what is my normal, you know, breathing pattern? Am I pulling more vertically or do I have some of that horizontal movement? So like people putting the hands on the, on the bottom of those ribs, feeling them moving outwards. I think looking in the mirror would probably be quite helpful so that you can see whether thing, whether your shoulders are moving up or not, just to give people a little bit of, um, feedback uh, in terms of feeling Absolutely. and then also visually in terms of feedback and that just like the the picture you draw up for those that are um, visual learners I think it helps me when you're describing the diaphragm as that like dome shape on the um, on the on the exhale and letting it actually relax while I'm constantly being tight but you know you, you refer to you gave the analogy like with the bicep and you'd have a problem with your shoulder and your and your elbow if your bicep was constantly contracted and you didn't know you weren't able to unrelax it. So it it, it make, makes complete sense. And then that um, that picture of it going from that dome to flattening out, and in order to flatten out, 
it's got to sort of I'm thinking that those rib those ribs going out like it's got to spread yeah and just having that feeling or having that picture in my mind helps me try and generate that feeling internally so I find that yeah I find that really helpful for and I'm sure if someone else is a a visual sort of learner that's gonna it's gonna help because I think that one of the challenges is um this is just personal experience you'll be able to you'll have worked with a lot more people but um the challenge of that internal feeling may may or may not be right or wrong and when you don't know whether it's right or wrong or not you, you don't know whether you're making the right steps forward so it's like having little things like you're saying about where you're putting your hands and what you're looking for to help you get a gauge of are you actually doing it right rather than doing it wrong 25,000 times a day it's going to build off right over well, a you added an extra thousand time. there but Sorry. yeah <laughs> yeah. I do a little bit of overbreathing. I'm a bit yeah. stressed. Uh, <laughs> I'm stressing about whether I'm breathing right or not. <laughs> but you know, you brought up the bicep again, so I do want to make another point that I, I usually um I usually use the example of the bicep and and you're right, so many people are visual learners and they could actually do this as I describe it to kind of get what I'm saying. Um so I Another one of my pet peeves is when people say they equate deep breathing to diaphragmatic breathing, right? We say, I'm going to practice diaphragmatic breathing. And my, my answer is always, um, hopefully you're always practicing diaphragmatic breathing because it's your primary muscle of respiration. It, it shouldn't be only used for deep breathing. It sh- it's not only available to you in a yoga class. It should be available to you all the time. And my analogy is your bicep is your primary muscle for flexing your elbow, right? Uh, And so if I'm going to flex my elbow a lot, so let's say that my arm is outstretched and I want to take my hand all the way up to my shoulder. So that's deep elbow flexion. Um, I don't call that like I'm practicing bicep elbow flexion, right? That's, That's deep elbow flexion. I'm obviously using my bicep. Now, let's say I only wanted to lift my hand, my arm is outstretched. I only want to lift my hand three or four inches. What we end up doing, this is if we equate it to our breathing. So let's say that we're not doing deep breathing. We're just doing normal breathing over the course of our day. That's like only lifting my hand three or four inches. But instead of bending my elbow just a little bit, so using my bicep just a little bit, I say, oh, no, no, I only use my bicep for deep elbow flexion. So in order to lift my hand, I'm going to use my upper traps and my shoulder and my pec to lift my hand. And that looks kind of stupid and awkward, and it's certainly not you know, efficient, but that's exactly what we're doing with our breathing pattern because we're like, okay, we're only using our diaphragm or attempting to for deep breathing, but the rest of the time, we're going to use all these other muscles. So... Um, did we lose? Yeah. Yeah. Jack has just disappeared. He'll come back (laughs) in a minute. I'm sure. Um, well, I've got a couple of questions written down, Dana, that I wanted to just get your thoughts on. So when we go through that breathing exercise for, for myself included, um, that exhale feels like work, right? You've got to, you've got to go a little bit harder and it doesn't feel like a very natural sitting on the sofa, kind of enjoying a movie kind of breathing pattern. How do we move ourselves from making that diaphragmatic breathing more of our unconscious um process that that happens all the time and moving our way ourselves away from a dysfunctional breathing approach so it it takes a little bit of work but literally it only takes a little bit of work but it has to be consistent and and so 
it should feel like work when we're training and retraining our breathing pattern to be functional. And, you know, you had brought up in the beginning um, that you wanted to talk a, a little bit about, about the core as well. And I, I would argue that our diaphragm is the king of our core because if the diaphragm is functional, then, um, you know, I joke that I have breathing abs, like I don't do core work because if my breathing is functional, then all of my core muscles that the muscles that people normally identify as the core, all of my core muscles are going to be, um, functional and aligned in the right positions. You know, there's, there are so many, especially I see this with power lifters and, um, you know, and bodybuilders where, um, they're trying to train a, their core to look good and to be powerful, but they're doing it from such a poor position that they're held in mostly because of their breathing pattern. And that position is stretching and inhibiting their core. Because if, if you're doing that breathing pattern that we've been talking about, the shallow chest-oriented pattern where you're recruiting these upper body muscles, it's really pulling you into extension. And I know a lot of people are so focused on posture being about the slump, but what they're missing is that a lot of these people who look like they're slumped over actually don't have a kyphotic curve. They're in a breathing pattern that puts them into extension. Their thoracic spine is actually flat because the rib cage is protracted. It's pushed forward. But then we have the poor posture of the shoulders, which are being overworked and the upper traps being overworked to help us breathe. But then also, you know, our smartphones and our computers and all of that, that other environmental stuff are putting us into that posture that looks like we're slumped, but it's really just shoulders, neck, um, you know, upper back that's pulled up and forward, but there's still really an extension. Um, so that's, that's a point I always like to make about posture because it's, it's fooling people. They're thinking that, that I've got to get into more extension when in fact they're actually, they're really foiling their breathing pattern even more that way. But that extension is lifting the rib cage up, flaring the ribs out, but think about what that does also to your pelvis and your core muscles. So that's going to anteriorly dip your pelvis forward. So now your stomach is kind of pushed out and your core muscles are weakened by, they're inhibited by being kind of in a stretch because they're, you're in that extension. And so now you could do all the core exercises you want to try to strengthen those muscles, but their kind of resting posture is weakened and inhibited. So if I get my diaphragm to function right, which pulls me back into better posture, aligns my rib cage over my pelvis, now all of my core muscles are aligned in the right position. And actually, instead of, remember what I told you in the um, dysfunctional breathing pattern, all those muscles that are firing um, in a compensatory fashion up to 24,000 times a day, or for Jacko, it's 25,000, as he said, (laughs) right? Now, instead of those muscles firing for us to breathe, the muscles that are helping move our ribs would be internal and external obliques, and TVA. And they're not, it's not a huge firing. It's going to be a huge firing when you're training your breathing and you're working on it. But once we're in that pattern and it's, it's more autonomic, then those muscles are going to be helping us breathe all the time because that's what they're designed for. And so then you're going to have a much more functional core and 
I mean, if you're actively training your breathing, it's like core training. Oh, you're back, Jacko. <laughs> Yeah, that was one thing I was going to ask you, actually. Um, I remember watching um, a presentation series by Mike Boyle um, oh, yeah. several years ago now. Um, and he was talking about using breathing. And, and he, he, even at that point in his career, had recognized that breathing hadn't been a part of his core training sessions um, previously. And I remember I wrote it down at that point then. It was like, I need to understand this more of when we're doing core training with people. Let's say we're doing like, a, I don't know, we might have some different words for it, with dead bugs or Superman or even a plank, something like that. That actually making sure that when we're doing core training, we're we're working through that breathing cycle and pushing through into the exhale. And I just wanted to check that when I feel like I do that, that deep exhale and really try and bring the ribs in and down, um, as you talked about, it really feels like my rectus abdominis is going like nuts. Like everything feels tight. Yes. Um, is that it? Shouldn't be. It should. Should it feel like quite a strong, active, muscular movement? Because that's definitely what mine is. But it takes that to get all of the air out of my lungs. Um, and the benefit that Mike was talking about was um, when you're doing these core exercises to really stimulate the core, to really get that kind of adaptation that we're looking for. Yes, we can hold a plank. And if we can hold a plank with good posture, that's even better. But if we can then get the exhale, we are like ticking loads of boxes in terms of stimulating that spinal um, stabilization. What are your thoughts on, that's probably a big um, conversation in itself, but um, just yeah, your thoughts. Well, Absolutely. I mean, I agree with everything that you, you just said, because um, when, so when you describe, let's, let's unpack this a little bit. When you described, you know, you feel like when we just did that breathing exercise to fully exhale, you had to engage all of your core muscles to make that happen. Um, absolutely. That's what people should be feeling when they're training their breathing when they're working on training their breathing, especially if it hasn't been something that they've been doing, it's going to take a lot of work. And I, I, I warn people that this, although it's a breathing exercise, you know, let go of those preconceived notions about that relaxing breathing exercise that's relaxing while you do it. Now, the irony here, though, is as much as you're expending all of that energy, because you are deep breathing, if you practice this uh, for long enough, um, so let's say you do 15 breaths like that, and it feels like you could even be sweating when you're doing this, right? Because you're, you're activating your core, but at the same time, you're managing to activate your parasympathetic nervous system. There's going to be this calm and cool, collected aspect of how you feel after you complete that because you're still activating your parasympathetic nervous system, even though you were working so hard, you had the muscular effort going. Um, is it going to be, you know, you're not going to need to take a nap after you're not getting to that point kind of thing, but, but just know you'll still get that, that blissful effect of the breathing that maybe you've tried to have before and it's all relaxing and, you know, you're lounging in pillows. Well, now we're training functional breathing so that our body can then say, oh yeah, this is how it's supposed to work and it's going to continue to work for us, but we'll still get that blissful feeling afterwards if that, if that makes sense. But then going back to what, what Mike said, and um, Mike and I are good friends. I've known Mike for a really long time and, uh, and I absolutely agree. Remember how I was describing the diaphragm as a skeletal muscle 
attaching to your rib cage as well as your lumbar spine. And then another aspect of this is at that attachment to the lumbar spine, the diaphragm actually intersects with the psoas major. So, you know, how often are people talking about having tight hip flexors? And then um, when we were just talking about the core and core training and, and how muscles become inhibited because of posture and bad breathing, well, you know how I said the, the um, rib cage goes into extension and then, of course, the pelvis follows going into the anterior pelvic tilt. And what goes hand in hand with the anterior pelvic tilt is the hip flexors, you know, locking on. So the psoas is going to be tight. But, and, and going back to the vicious cycle that we've talked about, the breathing creates, now this intersection of the psoas and the diaphragm at the attachment to the lumbar spine, in cadavers, it appears to be one muscle. They intersect so intimately that they're like one muscle there. So remember, if your diaphragm is stuck in that contracted or semi-contracted state all the time because you're in that shallow chest-oriented pattern, that means that muscle is tight. So it's going to be tight at the attachment to the lumbar spine where it is also you know, feeding that tension to the psoas. And in hand, the psoas is feeding the tension back to the diaphragm because in the shallow chest-oriented pattern, the rib cage is protracted and, um, and you're in spinal extension, which dips the pelvis forward. So see how there's the cycle again, you know, is it the posture or the breathing pattern that's creating this, but they both feed the dysfunction back and forth through each other. So when we're training core, right, we're actually, and we're training core and in integrating the breathing. Now we're getting the muscle activation to put us in a better position and we're reinforcing that with a better breathing pattern. So now we're getting rid of the tension in the diaphragm because remember, if we engage that core completely on that exhale, as much as everything feels engaged, what's that one muscle that's actually relaxed? Diaphragm. Your diaphragm. So if the diaphragm is relaxed, and now in order to get that diaphragm to relax, what has to happen to your rib cage position? Your ribs come in, back, and down. And we know that the rib cage and the pelvis don't work independent of one another. So as soon as you bring the rib cage in, back, and down, you also take that pelvis out of an anterior tilt. Now that's neutral, which means now the psoas is relaxed. Diaphragm's relaxed, psoas is relaxed. And we're telling our body, isn't this freaking comfortable? Doesn't this work better? And we're training those muscles that help to put us back into that position. So, I mean the most functional, optimal, I mean, what other words could we use to describe it? Core training is the kind that accurately and effectively integrates the right phases of breath. And mm. I, I know I've been talking for a long time, but I just want to add something to this um, because it goes hand in hand here because we've been talking about the relationship of the rib cage and the pelvis. Um, and I don't want to miss the fact that the diaphragm and the pelvic floor, they work in a rhythm. So when, and it's not, it's, it's a rhythm. It's not completely in sync. So it's when the diaphragm um, contracts, the pelvic floor relaxes. When the diaphragm relaxes, the pelvic floor contracts. So let's go back to your plank, right? 
and you get a full exhale in that plank position. And we've got the diaphragm and the pelvic floor lined up. We've got the rib cage and the pelvis lined up. We've got the diaphragm relaxed, the psoas relaxed. But then what does that mean for the pelvic floor? The pelvic floor is on, which is helping hold us in that position, helping hold the, um, the pelvis in that position as well. Because if you think about, you know, you need the core muscles to be on, but if the pelvic floor was just loose in a plank, what would you be? You'd, you'd end up like trying to use your adductor. You'd end up trying to use your hips. You'd be firing all kinds of muscles to compensate for that lack. And that happens all the time when, you know, when we see someone in a, in a plank position and they have an arch in their back, which means they're, you know, they're in extension in an anterior pelvic tilt. What does that tell you about what's going on with their pelvic floor? Their pelvic floor is probably relaxed. So that's why it's a mess and they're shaking and it's so hard to hold because they don't have the right muscles going. So the breathing is a huge part of that. That was yeah. a lot. Yeah, it's great. That was great. Okay. I, um, so my internet dropped down. I was on like a, I was, I was in, I was in fight or flight and I was over breathing, panicking. <laughs> like, how do I get back in here? Just got to take a few breaths. Um, one of the things I get really, why I get excited about the breath that when you talk about it like that, one word that comes to mind for me is, I'm like, you, you're looking at the root cause of, so, or the potential root cause, because right. not everyone's the same, but the potential root cause of a number of different things that are going on. Like how many people are trying to address anterior pelvic tilt because they know they're like that, but they don't actually address their breathing, for example. And say potential root cause, but if you, when you think of like total number of repetitions, you, you know, you said 24,000 breaths a day potentially, it's like that's the thing we're doing the most. So it probably is the root cause. And when we can address the root cause of something, uh, I get excited because it just gives this this idea of hope is the word that springs to mind of like, yes, like we can we can sort out like the issues we've got around how we're moving or pain that you might have or restrictions you might have, and you're just going to be able to enjoy movement life and you know for those that are involved in like some of the cool calisthenics training and whatnot it's gonna it's gonna open or it has potential to open more doors and more avenues for you in terms of your your strength development your mobility development and um yeah that that's that's exciting that's why absolutely that's why i want to talk about it with you know experts like yourself onto onto the podcast well thank you yeah it i mean it's like the (sighs) it's like the ultimate body control. When I think about what you guys do, you know, uh, your, your training and the things that I've seen you doing, you have to have, you have to have control of your body. And when you really truly understand, you know, the, just the changing your phase of breathing is going to give you better access to muscles that you need to better stabilize in different positions or better open up in different positions. It's, it's crazy. It's like, I, I, well, I always say breathing is a superpower. It really is. It's a superpower. And then in terms of, you know, it's not, it's not always the be all end all for everything, but I, I, I mean, it might not fix everything, but it's always the place to start because you're never going to hurt someone by making them breathe better. You're never going to hurt mm-hmm. someone. I've had times when, you know, I was, um, I was helping an athlete uh, with deal with back pain. And, um, and so I started with the breathing and I have a book, practical solutions for back pain relief. And, and in that book, I always have everyone start with the breathing 
Because then if we clean up the breathing, then we can see what the real issue is. If the issue still remains, then we know we have to take a different approach. But with this particular athlete, um, we, we cleaned up the breathing, but the back pain was still there. There was another issue at play, which we did address. But I remember him saying to me, um, you know, for pretty much my whole life, I've had TMJ, you know, like the lockjaw issue and I'd eat a bagel and my, my jaw would lock up. And he's like, he's like, you know, I know we're still dealing with the back thing, but my, like my jaw feels so much better. And I also get, I used to get these migraines. I haven't had a migraine in two weeks. So he would get a migraine like every week. So jaw pain and migraines are gone. So maybe no, the, his, the breathing wasn't the answer to his back pain, but we just like, drastically increased the quality of his life by getting and now, you know, he can all eat all the bagels he wants and he's not dealing with a migraine every week. So that's amazing. But, you know, I, I, I did want to, and I'll stop for a minute cause it seems like you have a question, but I want to make sure that we talk about how this changes mobility. Cause we've talked about strength, stability, and posture, but mobility. But before I do that, what was your question? Well, we're on the same wavelength because that was my question. (laughs) Um, And I've got a really good example that I think our community will be able to resonate with. Um, And it's it's touched on some of the things you've already said, but then let's, I'll tee this one up and then we can take us wherever wherever you want to um, down that, that avenue. One thing where we're going to get, we see a lot of people who struggle with, with shoulder range of movement. So they'll come in, they're tight, they're jacked up, they've maybe got some pain and some discomfort. I'd written down before, as before we spoke, that I wanted to get your input on this about how breathing could effectively, how changing breathing, improving breathing would would impact shoulder range of movement. And you've already answered that question, I think, as we go through. If we are not chest breathing, um, elevating the rib cage, then we are not working all the shoulder muscles as well as um, when we're wanting to go into a training session. So we're not getting pec over activity, upper trap over activity, which play havoc with the shoulder if they they are they're charged up and, and doing too much. Just that was really the question about how have you seen that because it would be it's amazing and probably for some people to think if i improve my breathing my shoulder range of movement might improve by doing nothing else and if i've got pain i could see a decrease in that pain because i'm not going to be continually doubly overworking those structures all the time um that's something that i think is a really interesting thing for people to try so i guess that's kind of a context go where you want to but the other thing is i wanted to get your thoughts on is how quickly can people see something change around that breathing so the athlete you're working with with the back pain um improve the breathing do we see changes potentially within a couple of weeks or, or is it even quicker than that or does it take a bit longer um okay and i'll just i'll just add in that um tim mentioned that what you picked up on before about like the overactivity of like traps packs whatever it is all those things are going to affect the shoulder but you've also talked a lot about the position of the rib cage and if we've got dysfunction in position of the rib cage that's surely going to affect our scapular like rhythm with the humor head like just talk a little bit about how all of that comes together to actually then hopefully release your shoulder and get your shoulder working better. Yes. Okay. Well, you guys teed me up perfectly. That was awesome. Um, <laughs> so, first time. <laughs> um, Jacko, I'm going to address yours first because I think when yes. people understand that, <laughs> but then I'm going to spend a lot of time on Tim's. Um, but I think when people understand the influence of ribcage position on shoulder mechanics, then the examples that I give next will make so much more sense. So, um, so your scapula 
right? Your shoulder blades, they, the way that they function, they have no choice but to ride on the position of your rib cage. Um, so whether they glide well or not is, is dictated by if that rib cage is there for them to, to glide on. And hopefully at this point, um, you know, for the people who've been listening, I know that you guys get it, but that the biggest dictator of your rib cage position is the quality or lack thereof of your breathing pattern. Because your breathing pattern, if it's optimized and it's more, um, you know, horizontal in nature as opposed to vertical, then your rib cage is going to sit down lower where it's supposed to be um, aligned over the pelvis. But if you have that shallow chest oriented breathing pattern and you're using all of those um, compensatory accessory breathing muscles to pull your rib cage up, your rib cage is going to be lifted and protracted. And, um, you know, we haven't really talked about this, but it's so funny because people kind of forget that your, your ribs attach to your spine. So if your rib cage is pulled forward, your spine's going with it. Like it can't, they, and people also, they don't even talk about rib kinematics when they're talking about T-spine rotation. And that's another face palm for me too, because you can't move your spine independent of your rib cage. You just can't, right? So um, not your thoracic spine, at least, because your, your, your ribs attached to it. So let's go back to now the... Um, the scapula, if I'm in that, that chest-oriented breathing pattern and my rib cage has been pulled forward and upward, the scaps now, you know, we, we talk about like winging scaps and you've got all that space under the scapula. What is that space? What's creating that space under the scapula? It's a lack of rib cage there. How do we get the rib cage back into position? You have to breathe better. You need to optimize your breathing because we could... So we could work on shoulder mechanics, um, and I see this. I th- I've seen this. I work a lot in professional baseball, and I- I've seen it over and over and over. You know, you- we've got your your scap program, your shoulder program, your shoulder girdle program, whatever it is, and you can work two, three, four, five, six hours a day on that program. But if if breathing is not integrated into that program, to your point, Jocko, we are breathing up to 20, the breathing pattern is happening up to 24,000 times a day, but it's absolutely happening 24 hours a day. So that, that outnumbers your shoulder program that you're doing, you know, four to six hours a day. And it's usually not that much, right? It's maybe it's even an hour a day. So your breathing's always going to win. It's going to be an uphill battle. The same thing with stretching. So the tension, um, and now we'll, I'll get into what you were saying, Tim, is the tension. So you have the tension in your, your shoulder and we want to get more mobility in. Oh, God forbid we're doing, do you guys know what the sleeper stretch is? <laughs> yeah. 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 Con- most controversial stretch in, uh, in all performance. I think. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> no one should be doing a sleeper stretch. So you're doing, but I mean, I've seen it done again, working in professional baseball, I've seen it done um, so many times. So you're doing the sleeper stretch, but again, you can, you can stretch something out but that tension is going to keep coming back. It's going to keep coming back because the tension is coming from your breathing pattern, which we're like a broken record. It's happening 24 hours a day, up to 24,000 times a day. So that's where the tension is coming from. And you know, when I first got into professional sports, I, I came in as a yoga instructor. That's before I became a strength coach, before I did the NASM training, before I did all the different kinds of training so that I 
I could figure out the things that I didn't know that I didn't know. But I could, if I had just stuck to yoga and I was just stretching people out, I, I could have had a job, you know, with the same team for 20 years and always been going in because they need me constantly. Because yeah. I wasn't addressing the source of the problem. I was just providing the temporary relief and that was good enough because, okay, you know, come back, stretch me again tomorrow. But that's not what I want to do. So instead, now that we're looking at breathing mechanics, we can address the source because if we can stop dysfunctionally firing those muscles and creating that tension, we don't have to stretch anything, especially with the shoulder joint. We shouldn't be stretching the shoulder joint. It's the most shallow mobile joint in our body. It is designed for tons of movement. If there's an issue with movement in the shoulder joint, it's not because it needs to be stretched. It's because there's a problem with how we're moving and the most fundamental movement pattern being breathing. So how quickly can I change shoulder mobility? I can change shoulder mobility in five breaths and it's like a magic trick. Now, do they own that shoulder mobility after five breaths? Absolutely not. But it was so funny that you brought up two weeks because that's what I found is the sweet spot. Once, once I get people to integrate um, I, what I call a breathing bridge position, two sets of five breaths. So that's 10 breaths a day into their warm-ups before training because that's setting them up also to train better. So I'm sure there are some other correlations. There are some other things that are at play based on the fact that they do the breathing bridge before they train. But, but if they do that... And they do that every day in their training warm-up. So let's say they work out five times a week. So that's 10 times that they've done two sets of five breaths. Then they, they start owning that mobility. And what is that mobility? That mobility can be a change of as much as 30 degrees immediately by changing their breathing pattern, 30 degrees in um, external and internal rotation. And, and so... I've, I've kind of learned how to do these, these parlor tricks, the magic tricks in order to get buy-in when I work with professional athletes. And I want to use the example because, um, Tim, you've said that you like, um, American football. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yep. the, um, so working with the Houston Texans, um, when I, when I was brought in to work with the whole team pretty much at once, and then we broke it down into smaller groups, but, Um, the whole team at once. That's a whole lot of people to try to get all of this. I mean, we've been talking for an hour now on the podcast. I don't have an hour to explain breathing mechanics to them. Um, And also in a lot of time, there are a lot of times like working with professional baseball teams that, that um, there's a language barrier. Um, You know, I'll have a, a lot of guys from the Dominican. They have no idea what I'm saying. I don't know what they're saying. I have to show them why this works. So um, when I was at the Houston Texans, I, I'm going to grab the guy with the money arm, right? So I can do the example of this. So I brought Deshaun Watson up to the top of the room and I, and I put him into, you know, into the start of a, like a glute bridge position, but I just had him laying on the ground. Um, and then I did a check of internal and external shoulder rotation. I, didn't, I don't use a goniometer. I just... Um, visibly do it. He can feel what's happening. I can also feel under my hand holding his shoulder down. I can feel if there are any pops or any, you know, anything weird. I can also feel the degree of tension that's happening. 
but I, I, I do it on both sides. I mean, obviously one arm's more important than the other in, in these sports, but and do it on both sides. The whole group sees where he starts from. You know, what, what is the angle of his arm? How far from the floor is it? And then I guide everybody, including Deshaun, through, um, well, I, a lot of times I like to only do the one set of five breaths and then recheck to show that it only took five breaths. Sometimes I can tell maybe they weren't quite getting it. The ribs weren't moving right. I'll do the two sets for the demo. But anyway, um, with him, I'm pretty sure we only did the one set of five breaths. And all I'm doing is trying to make what happened with you guys when we were trying to move the ribs on the exhale. I want the internal rotation of the ribs. I want them to move in back and down so the diaphragm can relax. And on the inhale, there's rib movement out horizontally, not vertically. The only difference is we did this, you know, sitting down. Um, I put them in what I call a breathing bridge. So it's very much like a glute bridge. I have them put their hands on their ribs. Um, when I'm demoing it, I put my hands on their ribs so that they can really get that tactile um, feedback. I put my hands on their ribs. I have them exhale completely turn their core on, and then give me a posterior pelvic tilt to lift their butt up about three or four inches. That's going to give a better lining up of that pelvic floor and the diaphragm because we've already talked about how that relationship works. Mm. So now they hold that through five breaths where we focus on rib mobilization, that rib movement. And I'm watching them as they're doing it. If I notice that they're engaging shoulders, I might like, kind of poke their shoulder to, to get them to relax a little bit, um, remind them that we're not trying to breathe from there. I, I Usually the length of the inhale is probably half as much as the exhale because I'm really focused on getting that exhale. Because if I can get the exhale and the diaphragm to relax, the inhale is going to come naturally. And I also watch what's happening with their face. I'll cue them if because sometimes if I'm not allowing them to use those compensatory breathing muscles like their body reacts by clenching their jaw. Like they don't even realize these things are happening. So it does help for me to be able to notice these things and say, oh, relax your face, you know, relax your tongue in your mouth, just whatever, those little cues, and then come back down. So with Deshaun, it was the five breaths. He comes back down. And then I recheck in front of everybody, his shoulder internal and external rotation. And with him, it was on the internal that we got at least 30 degrees difference and then you know i i always love the, the <laughs> hush over the crowd or you know sometimes people will yell holy shit but, but you know but it's it's you get awesome buy-in at that point. and then you know you have buy-in you know Bef- just that, well, before before you add that buy like at the very beginning i'm just imagining um you know play like a, a, a team sport like that you know a bit like rugby it, it's i imagine it's a fairly macho environment that was it a little bit like mm, breathing, like let's get on and lift some weights, or were they were they sort of up for it at the beginning? Um, there's definitely now uh, that that I've been doing this so long. Um, usually, especially going into professional sports, the the team has heard of my work before, um, and there isn't very much resistance because they they know. But in the beginning, of course, like you know. Mm. If, quite a few years ago, I I'd say doing the breathing mechanic stuff, it's been about six years now. So, you know, year, um, one and two, of course, but because I knew I had these, these magic tricks in my back pocket, cause I can also do that with internal hip rotation. 
because the same, the same kind of thing is happening. If we're changing the pelvis position An internal hip rotation, is just like internal shoulder rotation. It's really hard to kind of stretch into it, like to make it happen because it's, it's a very functional movement. And knowing that I have these things like in my back pocket that they can all grumble as much as they want, because if I can get them to watch that happen in front of them, then it, it, the buy-in just happens. Then it's because yeah. everyone's like, "I want that." <laughs> yeah, because you can't deny, it. and it's their teammate. He's not, you know. He, especially if I grab somebody who doesn't is, you know, isn't in it at all, he'll at least go through the motions. But if I get him to go through the motions, it works. And then, yeah, I've never had an issue where I've demo demonstrated that and had somebody go, "Oh yeah, no, I don't want that." <laughs> and yeah, yeah, it just hasn't happened. It's an interesting test retest for people to have a go at, though, isn't it? Because you can mm. you could potentially, like, if you say the, the breathing comes first, well, let's address that. Does that if uh, what was part of my question? Thinking, well, how am I going to use this? But if you can get um, a good test retest response in five to ten breaths, if you don't get a massive response, I imagine you'll always get something is probably going to change something. from what you said. But if it's not like huge and they're still jacked up, you go, okay, I've maybe now got a biomechanical issue, but at least I've now screened for yeah. breath. Um, so let's count that one out because if, what's the point in going through a six week stretching intervention if you could have fixed it by doing 10 breaths a day? Because one of those is going to give you, it, well, it's, it goes back to the thing, the right thing will give you the best uh, response to whatever the issue potentially is. It's not just chucking loads of stuff at it. It's going, what is actually going to make a difference? It's breath work. Let's start there. And then maybe we need to go and do some, start, some dynamic stabilization work, which to your point before is going to help that person to own that movement. But create the range of movement, then stabilize in that range and breathe well while you're doing it. You're starting to just like rack up ticks in boxes where people are going to get a really sort of holistic program where the shoulder should then continue to move well moving forward so uh, we've taken up over an hour of your time Dana and I feel like we could probably go another hour yeah. I've still got stuff written part down, two maybe the part, part two, two, part, two. Another, there's part, another two. part two you just see but I'm just going to I'm going to say thank you so much for sharing your passion and enthusiasm for this subject. It's definitely come across and I've learned something. I'm I'm enthused and excited. I'm definitely going to go and check out your Breathing 101 course, which you very kindly said that um, you're going to give us a discount code on for our podcast listeners, which I believe is SOC20 to get 20% off Breathing 101. And what's your web? Where can people find that program, Dana? And where can they find out more about you if they want to, to come and get involved in some of your work? Um, it's Mobility Maker. So mobilitymaker.com is my website. And um, yeah, you'll find the Breathe Better 101 program right there on the homepage. There's a link. But then also on Instagram. Um, I, and on Instagram, uh, I've, I've just restarted doing this. I used to do this a lot previously, but. Um, I've restarted doing lives where I, I take a breathing break with people. And so I take them through a breathing drill, focus on mobilizing their ribs. And then I spend usually, I always and only intend to spend 10 or 15 minutes, but I usually spend at least half an hour <laughs> then answering questions. Um, and the questions are always so great. So it's hard for me to go. So um, I do that a few times a week. So if you follow me and, and you, you know, want to jump on one of those uh, and also you can see the, um, the recordings of them on IGTV as well. I was, I was, that's, mo that's Mobility Maker on Instagram yes. as well, if you find that. I'm yeah. looking at your profile right now. Yeah, and I, I was going to say, if, um, if, if you would up for it, we do it with a guest sometimes where it's, there's a, a real reason to have like a, a practical session afterwards or a Q&A thing, that if we, to do a, to do a live, uh, an Instagram live together, 
the same week that this goes out live in a few weeks from recording but obviously if people listen to it now it's, it is now <laughs> but um well if, if you're up for that we'd love to be able to do that we think it'd be really a great way for the listeners and those and the followers of, of both of us to be able to engage and have a go at some of those exercises sort of visually being able to to follow you along that'd be awesome oh i'd love that that would be great yeah. Well, 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 I think one thing we can do as well is we'll drop the the video link for that you did a great video with the NS, NSCA guys on the um, the, the bridge position, mm. and I think that would be a really good starting place for people to have a go at some of this stuff. So we'll drop that link in the show notes for people as well. Yeah, so there's going to be loads of links um, in the show notes. I have my one real quick final question that's like a yes or no answer. Um, okay. And because uh, you mentioned, uh, we've had Patrick McKeown on the podcast before from Oxygen Advantage. It was podcast uh, 121. If anyone wants to, hasn't listened to that yet, go back and listen to it. Oh, I'm um, going to listen to that he's, one. Uh, so he's he's obviously he's a he's like your nasal he's your nasal man nasal yes. nasal breathing. Um, and one thing he doesn't mention in his book is about. Well, I'm just going to straight up ask it. Do you and, and people that know you, you either know or you don't know? But do you tape your mouth at night? There's my big question. I don't have to. Um, oh, I do because yeah, it's just too good. I know, that's fair enough. Fair enough. Sorry, yeah, uh, but answer. but I would, I would if <laughs> that, that, if it was an issue, answer. I would do it. But but I no, I don't, I don't have to. Yeah, if people want to know why I ask that question, either read the book or listen to the listen to the other podcast. <laughs> Then we just left a pause there. One thing we just like to do, it's a bit of our quirky kind of school of calisthenics thing, is when we sign it off, um, we, with me and Jacko doing a video, we'll normally, one of us will just say, until next week, and then the other person will say, class dismissed. So when we do a podcast with a guest, we like the guest just to have the last word. So if you wouldn't mind, I'll just tee it up, say thanks again, and then I'll just say, so until next time, and then all you've got to say is, class dismissed, and then we're going to wrap from there. Okay. You, you don't get that on CNN, do you? <laughs> <laughs> So Dana, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, we're really excited to, to see how this one goes down with our audience. So if you've got comments or, or thoughts, if you're listening to this, please get in touch with Dana. Send us some feedback. Have a go at some of the exercises. And um, yeah, take some positive steps to improving your breathing and movement. But other than that, we haven't got anything else to say. Until next time. Class dismissed. So thank you so much again for listening. We don't take it lightly that you uh, give up probably an hour of your time to listen to these podcasts. So we really do appreciate that. We hope you got a lot of value out of it, guys. And we would, if you did, we would love you to do a couple of things for us. One of them is tell other people and share it if you thought that we were adding some value. And also, if you want to, pop over to iTunes or wherever you're listening to this and give us a five-star review. We like five stars. Four stars, not as good keep it five are the best five of your best stars please <laughs> and if you would like to find out more about the school of calisthenics and see the best of everything that we have got head over to our virtual classroom you can access it from the website at schoolofcalisthenics.com and that is where we have got literally possibly the best calisthenics resource available anywhere in the world it's definitely the best one we've done and on that note until next week class dismissed <laughs>